And that's that's what bothers customers. They know you don't know them and that upsets them right off the bat because then they figure out that you're not going to be able to give them what they really want. And what they really want is very specific and that consists of three things. Their desires, their concerns, and their questions. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time tuning in, I just want to take a minute and welcome you to the Kelly family and just let you know that we exist for you. So if you're an organizational leader who's wrestling uh, with some rough or tough topic, you have something in your organization, you're not really sure how to navigate, uh, maybe you'd love to get some more research or get some topic trends from our, some of our faculty, or if you know of a person who would make an awesome guest for our show, we would love to hear from you. The best way to reach us is to send us an email to ROIPod, that's ROI. P-O-D at I-U-P-U-Y dot E-D-U. Again, R-O-I pod, R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. Well, when it comes to marketing, we've talked about this quite a bit. You know, there, there are ways, there are effective ways and not so effective ways of getting your product to the consumer. I mean, obviously when we boil marketing down to its most simple thing, it's how are we telling our product story? How are we getting a specific service, a specific product from us, an organization to our consumer and building that desire for our consumer to want to keep coming back for more. But you know, as we've seen and as we've seen from our own circumstances, there are some ways that are really not effective. They feel forced. They feel, you know, like it's an organization taking its hand and saying, you will buy this. You will take this. Yet, customers don't want that. Customers know what they want. Customers are more intelligent, I think, a lot of times than organizations give credit to. So today, we are sitting down with the author of Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. She's also president of Zhivago Partners, a digital marketing agency. I would love to welcome Kristen Zhivago. Kristen, welcome to the ROI podcast. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So let's get into your book, Roadmap to Revenue. Talk about you know this idea of you know what is the way that companies have been doing it, or what is this mindset for organizations who are simply saying, "Hey, this is the way we've always done it," or what how you determine it as the quote unquote old way of marketing. Well, the old way doesn't work when you're on the receiving end. Now, all of us don't like getting calls from salespeople. We don't like being manipulated into a sale. We can't. We aren't ever. I mean. People are way too intelligent now to be manipulated into a sale. So those things aren't working. Um, but the real problem, the big gap in, in all of this, in marketing and selling, is that management assumes that they know what the customer wants, and then they build all of their decisions about marketing, their messaging and the channels they go to and the methods they use and the the copy that they write, their website and how they design it, it's all based on assumptions. That's dangerous, actually often fatal for companies because the competition's a click away now and customers can talk to each other super easily. You can just 
go to Amazon or any other source and say, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think? Or have you tried this? And so they're talking to each other now. So there's no, um, there's no it, culture of somebody else telling them what to do. They find out for themselves. So you have to change the way you're selling. And the way you do that is you find out what your customers are really thinking. And you start with your successful sales and you basically reverse engineer hmm. your successful sales. The good news is it's super easy to do it. The bad news is everybody hesitates to do it because they're afraid to talk to their customers, which what? is crazy because that's where the money comes from. And I want to explore that a little bit because it seems like, you know, such a simple approach. Oh, yeah. Okay. Just start talking to your customers. And, you know, I do think that there there is a fear component to that. I also think, you know, there there's almost this level of I don't even know where to begin. Like, how do you even how do you even find your customers, you know, especially for smaller businesses, maybe that don't have a, you know, a brick and mortar shop. They don't get to see the people walking into their doors every single day to see the products they're buying, especially as we're getting more digital, you know, that interaction, that face-to-face -face connectivity is next to, next to non-existent, you know, so from, from a management perspective, you know, what do managers need to do or how do managers begin to take that step back and say, who are we actually serving and where do I find my customer? Well, the finding of your customer, uh, the, the short answer to that question is you usually have an email. And if you have an email or you have some other way of looking them up on LinkedIn or Zoom Info or any one of those databases, it's now ridiculously easy to find contact information for any human being on the planet. And if they're somehow registered with you, you know, the only time this would be tricky is somebody selling something where they don't have an email address or um, it's actually harder for the brick and mortar stores because they come in and they spend their money. They don't give you an email. So you have to find other ways of, of um, interacting with them. You can always make it easy and desirable for them to give you an email like they get some kind of discount or they get their account. They get some wish list types of things or other benefits. So I don't take that as an excuse. That's just BS. <laughs> that doesn't work for me. Um, so there's always a way to find. And if, if they are your customers, then you do have access to them. You do have contact information for them. So that's step one. Two is if you are brave enough to ask them open-ended questions, you can actually set up an interview with them. And this is something I spell out in chapter three of my book, because I've done this literally thousands of times for hundreds of companies where I've reached out to their customers and you get them on the phone. That's the best way to do it. Face-to-face -face is not good. Um, Zoom video is not good. Just telephone conversation where they can be walking down the street and be talking to you on their cell phone or whatever. But that way they're comfortable, you're comfortable, you tape the conversation, you tell them you're going to tape it up front, you just tell them you can't type as fast as they can talk. And then you put all of their answers into a report that's categorized by subject, so it's anonymous, and you tell them that up front. Those two things, telling and recording, just so you can take notes and so on, and that it's going to be anonymous, will let them open up. And then you ask open-ended questions like, how do you feel about our product and service? Um, uh, if you were looking for us in Google, wh what would you type in? Um, if you were the CEO of this company tomorrow, what's the first thing you would focus on or fix? What trends do you see in your market? 
what's your biggest challenge? Those are the kinds of questions, again, which I've worked out over thousands of interviews. You just let them talk. They, they give you the data that you need to basically reverse engineer your successful sales. Now, I'll say one more thing about the method, which is that you can talk to only five to seven people of a given type. You still have to segment your market, but of a given type, five to seven people, by that seventh phone call, there will be no doubt in your mind what they have in common and what you should be saying that you weren't saying before and what you should be specifying. You know, and I want to dive into you. We started this with there's the 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 marketer's mindset approach or an organization's mindset. You know, there's all these assumptions made on who is buying our product instead of the actual making of the connection of finding out the actual people buying your product or buying your service. You know, but you also said, I think, you know, you were talking about there's a customer mindset because, you know, when we were talking uh, previously before this recording, you were talking about there's a disconnect between, you know, the organization's assumption of, you know, what the customer's hoping for or who the customer is. And then there's the customer's assumption, you know, of what marketing should look like. Talk about and break down some of the, you know, customer's mindset. What's a customer's approach and how they want to be marketed to? Well, the reason this whole thing happened to me in my career is I was a revenue coach for decades in, in Silicon Valley. And the CEOs of those companies would say, oh, this is what's important to our customers. And it would be a list and they'd be prioritized. You know, these are the top 10 things that matter to our customers. And then I'd go interview the customers and the list was almost always completely different. Sometimes there were a few things in common, but the priority was different. The, the point being that when I brought that data back to the management of those companies, they were surprised. Now, sometimes they'll say, oh, yeah, we knew that, but they weren't stressing it the way the customer wanted them to stress it, number one. Number two, customers have very specific requirements and language that they use when they talk about these kinds of things. And it's the kind of speech pattern that you will not find in marketing talk. You know, it's like the, they used to have that old commercial of two housewives talking to each other about ring around the collar or something. And no two housewives in the world would talk the way those women talked. It was just fake. And that's, that's what bothers customers. They know you don't know them. And that upsets them right off the bat because then they figure out that you're not going to be able to give them what they really want. And what they really want is very specific. Now, let's talk about the mindset of the customer. The mindset is, is what they have in their mind when they set out to make the purchase. It's their state of mind. And that consists of three things, their desires, their concerns, and their questions. Obviously, their desire is very specific. I want it to be able to do this. If it doesn't have this, that's a game changer for me, and I'm not interested. Um, their concerns are based on their history of buying that kind of thing in the past and how often they've been burned and dis disappointed, which happens in tech quite a bit. And then their questions, which is even some of the most basic things that people don't answer, like how big is it? <laughs> Will this fit in that space I have for it? You know. Um, so I, I do have to say one more thing about this, which is 
a lot of times the CEO will say to me, oh, well, my, my salespeople talk to customers all the time. We don't need to interview customers. So all I have to say to them is, when's the last time you told a salesperson what you were really thinking? And they look at me and go, oh, <laughs> I guess they don't really know what the, what the customer is really thinking. No, because when they're buying something, they're playing poker. They are just absolutely not revealing what they're really thinking. And that's so interesting because I, I know as, as a consumer who obviously buying products constantly when you're, especially when you're in the research phase of, okay, I know the problem I have at home. Like I, I know my problem at home. I know my problem in work. I know X, Y, or Z, this is a problem and I need a product to address this in order to offer a valid solution. You know, and so exactly. and a lot of those times, you know, I mean, like I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm, okay, does it do this? Is it this big? Is it this color? Is it this? Fill in the blank. And we always get uh, shoved into or forced into going to the FAQ website, <laughs> which is so yeah. frustrating because as a, yeah. as a consumer, you're like, well, I have this specific question and yeah. you're giving me a really broad answer because your yeah. question's really broad and you're, you know, you, you could tell there's, there's this taking a stab at, oh, maybe my consumer will think this way. In reality, mm -hmm. I'm like, I just need, I need like two seconds of your time. Let me ask you a question so I can buy this product. But it sends yep. us on a rabbit trail. You know, so talk about how the, you know, we, we think that, oh, just put it to an FAQ website. Everything will be solved. Kind of covers our approach to all these quote unquote nuisance calls as consumer, as, you know, organizations might deem them. You know, but how how ineffective are those and how is this go cutting against, you know, kind of your messaging in this book on how do you really relate to customers and what solutions, you know, do you have to combat that FAQ trend? Well, the problem with FAQ is they're they're answering the questions they think customers have. And again, it's a perfect example of the assumption approach, which doesn't work. Uh, and in fact, when you talk about their concerns how many people have gone to FAQs and not found the answer? So after a while, they're not stupid. They don't go to FAQs anymore because they never get the answer. So I don't even, on our clients' websites, we've seldom, if ever, have an FAQ section because that's just, it, nobody goes there and nobody expects to find the answer. What you need to do these days is you need to have chat. And you need to have someone on chat who can actually answer questions and interact with the customer. So you have to put your knowledgeable people, maybe you go round robin and, and, you know, only two hours for this person during this time and so on. But you have to have people on chat. I have one of my, I, I wouldn't say he's my favorite client because all my clients are my favorite clients, but this particular client is a logistics guy and he really got brave and put himself on chat and just learned so much about the kinds of questions that people are asking and what they need to know and how he can help. And in fact, he also got rid of all of his salespeople, replaced them with customer service people. And now those customer service people do nothing but help make it easier for their customers to buy. And their sales are going through the roof. This stuff works. I mean, again, the customer is the one with the money. 
<laughs> and so why not like get to know them, really get to know them? It's such a simple concept. You think, you know, I me, mean, yeah, obviously it's, it's a transaction. It's a, you know, consumer who has money that wants a service and wants to make that transactional trade to get yeah, a they product. They want to spend the money. Mm-hmm. Right. They yeah. do. And yet as organizations, you know, I think a lot of times it's it that that view of, well, the money will just come in. I don't know how, but it'll just come in. Don't worry well, about it. Yeah, that's fatal. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And, and I want to get into, you know, obviously the, the, you've put a lot of thought and consideration to this book and you've done a lot of research. And I know it's been a lot of experience of trial and error. And I want to get into a little bit about some of the lessons that you've had to walk through as you were trying to build, you know, your method of interviewing or, you know, when you actually kind of had this aha moment, like, why are we doing it? this way. It's so wrong. You know, talk about the journey, you know, that led up to uh, discovering your method of how do you actually get to know your customers and who is buying your service or your product? Well, this really started years ago when I was a revenue coach and I kept interviewing customers and finding this big gap. So I knew right then that the majority of marketing is so ineffective because they don't really know what the customer, they don't know the customer and they don't know what the customer's thinking. So they're, they're just wrong about what they're saying. And it's sad because marketing is one of those things where you can spend millions of dollars and get nothing for it. Um, and it's because you're off message. You just, you're not saying the right things, to the right people. And again, at the beginning of my book, I talk about the fact that as a buyer, we know this. We know when they're off target. We know when our questions aren't getting answered. So, and that's the reality of the marketplace. That's the majority of our experience. So why aren't your customers, how are they any different? They're not, you know? So this, this big thing and this reluctance for people to get to know their customers better is the biggest marketing problem there is, period, end of story. And the hesitation to talk to them, once once you break through that and you start actually understanding them and making good decisions, the, the other reason that I've stayed in this business so long is because it's so exciting when they get it right. I mean, we do this for our clients. It's just, it's I live for this. I absolutely live for this. When you finally get it so that it's absolutely working correctly, I mean, we have a client that sells luxury yacht cruises, and we're talking about a hundred thousand to a million dollars a week to be on, on a ship with a chef and all that stuff. And it's basically e-commerce marketing. We're we're running ads for her, and we're getting a very high end, obviously very high end audience. And we've worked it out with the right messages and the right channels and everything where she's getting exactly the kind of customers she wants. She's running her whole business on these ads. And all of our other clients are having the same kind of uh, success. It takes some time to actually do the research and then get things created the way they need to be, the websites and the SEO and all that stuff. But it does pay off because we're telling the customer what the customer is telling us. You know, and I want to get into, you briefly talked about your specific methods, you know, that you have learned and what this book highlights, those specific methods of how do you interview your customer? You know, so I would love for you uh, to kind of address it in, in a clear way as, as we've kind of, you know, 
picked at it here and there, you know, what does it look like for um, a successful uh, marketing team or just anyone in an organization in charge of customer relations? How do those interviews look? How do we identify what specific roadmap can we start um, building within our organization to know the people we are serving? Well, it's not that different from the way marketing's done now. I mean, it, you still have a marketing communications person or a marketing VP or chief revenue officer. You still have people working on various channels, um, you know, social and, and SEO and all of that. We do all that work. Um, so it isn't, it isn't that that has to change. It's that the basic understanding and message has to change. And once that happens, then you're good to go. I, we had a software company um, that was uh, it's called Pioneer Interactive, which didn't tell you anything about what they sold. What they sold was a field software, a software for field uh, organizations. So they had techs out in the field. Any kind of company that sent texts out, you know, like a furnace company or somebody like that. And you could run your whole business on this thing. And the people that ran the company were programmers and they were so excited about how elegantly they interacted with or, or integrated with QuickBooks. That was their big thing. And that's what they stressed in all their marketing. I interviewed their customers and the customers said, eh, everybody's integrated with QuickBooks. It's to, I, I call this a baseline industry promise, like airplanes are supposed to fly, restaurant food's not supposed to poison you, boats are supposed to float, okay? And that's how they viewed this. It was just like, well, everybody integrates with QuickBooks. What's the big deal? What they really loved about the program was that you entered something once and it automatically populated everywhere. So in that first conversation with a customer, you get their address and all that stuff, and it goes into the directions for the text and into the invoice and purchase orders and all that stuff. That's what excited them because every single entrepreneur hates double entry, hates it. So we ended up renaming the company. Um, Field One, I think is what we ended up calling it. And uh, so enter it into the field once they go out into the field, you know, it's it, that was all the big thing. And he ended up selling the company to Microsoft for many millions of dollars happily. Um, it, so that's where you, that's a perfect example of being off target and thinking the thing that was often the thing that you think is so difficult is the thing you're proud of. And the customer's like, yeah, yeah, so what, you know, <laughs> And then it's over here. The answer's over here. And then when you find that answer, it's not, you're not scratching your head. You're not arguing in meetings where everybody says, well, I like it this way because that's how we used to do it or whatever. The subjectivity goes away. Finally, marketing should not be subjective. It's completely objective. And you can be completely straightforward if you know what they're really thinking. I love that case example, and I would love to, you know, take it a step further as as these questions were being to the consumers, you know, talk about how and maybe some of the questions asked that ultimately led to this moment of knowing, oh, okay, like this is this is what it does. Because I think it, it can be fairly simple, but I think as organizational leaders, a lot of times when we think we don't know something or we, we don't know some area, we don't know what it's going to be the unknown, we tend to make it more complex than what it really can be. Uh, so can you demystify, you know, some of that and walk us through like how those conversations went to lead to that answer? 
Well, it goes back to what I said earlier, where you ask open-ended questions. Now, in these phone calls, you cannot sell, even if they say to you, well, I'd like to know more about that. You say, fine, let's do that in another conversation. Because the minute you do that, if you start selling or, or informing them, they start playing poker again, and you lose them as the person who's just opening up. So the open-ended question is a big deal. It's surveys don't work because they're like FAQs. They're coming out of your perspective. And so they, they, you know, you're asking the questions based on your assumptions. It's like you're saying A, B, C, or D, and their answer is none of the above, but you're not giving them that option. So surveys are a waste of time. Uh, the conversations you have with them on the phone where you ask open-ended questions, gives them the option opportunity to just open up and they'll make sure that, you know, and even at the end, I say, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Usually they say, no, you covered everything. But then they say, you know, I just want to stress this. And they'll come back to their main point that they really want the CEO to know because they know I'm going directly to the CEO with all this data. And it's kind of flattering to them that somebody's called and asked and and by the way, if they're existing customers, they're actually more than happy to talk to you. If you don't have any customers yet, you have to go to people who might be buyers, which is a little trickier, uh, granted, absolutely. But the companies that are having the most problem now problems now are ones who sold to a certain number of people and then they plateau and they can't figure out how to get more or they've got a competitor who's eating their lunch or something. So it's usually, usually have five to seven customers of a given type <laughs> to, you know, it doesn't take that much, not a lot of money. It's open-ended questions. It's easy. And then you build these two reports. I do a conversation report where everything's, as I mentioned, categorized by subject, word for word, and then a summary and recommendations report that bubbles it all up and says, okay, these are the main things we found. That means that we need to do this. We need to go in this direction and here's how we're going to do it. You know, as we begin to wrap up this episode, you know, I want to talk about your advice and how you consult organizations who maybe have been stuck in the old ways. You know, where are some of those first steps? I mean, for a lot of uh, companies, again, you know, we get to this mindset of, well, I, you know, this sounds all great and all, but I don't even know what what's the first step I take. How do I get buy-in for my organization? Or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm not quite, I don't feel like I have the authority to make such a decision within my company. You know, how would you consult uh, an organization to take those first first steps um, into really discovering the potential that's out there and, and really learning and knowing who your customer is? Well, the first thing I would do it not to do a shameless plug here, but you really ought to read my book because um, I not only go into this whole method, but I also talk about the different types of buying processes based on the amount of scrutiny that the customer applies to the sale, which really gets you in the right track. So you're not selling inappropriately. Um, but if it's a question of selling to your boss, I mean, it's, if we're talking about making phone calls. So if you're really brave, you could just say, boss, I'm going to talk to, uh, five to seven customers. I have some open-ended questions. Do you mind if I do that? If the boss says I do mind, then the boss is a jerk and you ought to quit. <laughs> okay. And I don't work for jerks. That's a, one of the, the things, one of my rules. So if he cares about, he or she cares about the customer, they'll say, yeah, go ahead. You know, it'll probably help us with our, our stuff. 
you follow the, the directions in the book. I spell out, I give away all my secrets. You know exactly what to do. And then you come back with this report. And I have to tell you, every single marketer who I've ever had, you know, had given a speech and they came back to me later and said, I did it, I did it. And their whole position in the company, their status changes because now they are the voice of the customer and it's not this subjective childish arguments that everybody has. So it's the only way, honestly, that a marketer can get authority within their own organization. If you want it, this is the way to get it. Again, Kristen Zhivago, author of Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy, currently available uh, only on Amazon.com. She's also president of Zhivago Partners, a digital marketing agency. Kristen, again, thank you so much for spending your time and sharing your wisdom here on the ROI podcast. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Matt. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.